Bernays talks about the function of the PR as a special pleader. He likens the PR counsel to a lawyer, probably why he chooses to use the word uh, counsel instead of agent. The perspective of defense is intentional, but uh, PR is more like the prosecution. The hairnet company might be spun to be defending their profits, <laughs> but a prosecution can be argued to be defending the law and the society. So they both can be spun to be defense. But just because the word uh, uh, defense is used does not mean that they are not the antagonists. So I'm in no way trying to minimize the utility and value of uncorrupted prosecution attorneys in our society but they can be reframed to be defense of the law and society both prosecution lawyers and the hairnet company are on the offense again you could spin it that the criminals are on the offense and right but, but it's, it's ironic that uh offense and defense are uh or <laughs> it's ironic that offense and offense are spelled the same. You're on the offense and you made an offense. They're, they're, they're spelled the same, right? It's the same word, just pronounced different, right? So the hairnet company targeting unsuspecting women who did not know they were ever targets of a complex, calculated, and well-funded attack campaign, right? Is, is that a conspiracy, right? Conspiracy means a crafty secret plan, um, a plan of action, which may or may not be illegal. So you could have a conspiracy that is legal, but uh, usually, you know, the natural interpretation is that it's an illegal conspiracy, right? So in a courtroom, both sides have uh, well-trained legal counsel using the courtroom model. They're both highly trained lawyers. And uh, if PR are the counsel for the hairnet company, who are the counsel for the unsuspecting women. So the uh, the judge's chair and the uh, the jury are empty in, in Bernays' model for this example. But are they really? We find out later in the book that Bernays claims PR is also the judge and the jury. So we have a model of PR from Edward Bernays that the using the court model where PR are the judge jury and prosecution and there is no defense counsel for the the women being attacked <laughs> that's this is the fairness of Bernays world of uh, his model of what PR is using his words right they're they are the, the attorneys and they are also the judge and they are also the jury and yet there is no no lawyers or a counsel for those being attacked who may not even know, most likely don't know that they're being attacked. So it's a triad of goons attacking, uh, attacking a naive target in the shadows of secrecy. And that is not how the court works, Eddie. <laughs> right? Maybe he has a really distorted perception of how courts uh, work. Maybe my, maybe I have a distorted perception. Maybe that is how the court actually works in, in our world. And I'm naive to believe that we do have, you know, well-trained defense lawyers. But his model to make uh, PR sound good, right, that this is the best model he could come up with. 
or the one he chose to, right? Presumably the best one he could come up with. So it's repulsive how Bernays claims the cure for cancer is knowledge via public relations, but he is correct that knowledge is a great tool. But in our case, uh, for defense against PR campaigns and their manipulation. So Bernays has, as PR would, he has spun the concept 180 degrees. Now, we see this all the time, right? The attackers need defense in this world, and the targets don't need any, right? Uh, If if one was writing a book on hunting, uh, the author would not consider the defense of the prey being hunted by beasts beyond those defenses being obstacles to overcome, right? So this is this is a, uh, a spookily apt metaphor for PR, the the hunted and the 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 hunters, the uh, the PR and their prey. Bernays claims the uh, the clients need PR counsel to defend them from the free will, the free thought, and the organic opinions of the public. Hairnet companies need to protect themselves from uh, women choosing the wrong haircut. Subways and train companies need protection from the public's complaints against their shit service. Reframing on steroids. Spin without the target thinking the concept of spin or reframing. One interpretation, even though it's wrong, is all the uncritical thinker needs. So it is well within the interests of the manipulator to keep the public from questioning or even thinking about questioning. The idea of the public or targets realizing that there may be other interpretations is an anathema to the manipulator class. Uh, An epiphany of the public is the dread of the sophist. (laughs) Probably why so, uh, so few people know the meaning of, of propaganda and all the channels that participate in it, as well as the concepts of manipulation that are used, like reframing and all the logical fallacies and sophistry that are employed. I remember when I was in uh, college talking to uh, some older classmates, and they had no idea what propaganda even was. They're like, what's propaganda? <laughs> really? Anyways, um, they are not alone, obviously. It's funny how a word pops up and, and sticks in your head, like uh, like propaganda or, or sophistry. Now, I notice I'm using the word sophistry a lot here. It's, it's, uh, it's an elaborate and uh, shifty argumentation, right? It's, it's sophistry. It's, it's related to sophisticated sophist, right? When you think about some of the uh, logical fallacies you can't help but notice them in, in conversations. You know, it's almost daily. And recently I've had a guy appeal to the name of an author as a fallacious appeal to defend his point. The name of the author is irrelevant. The only potential value would be if the author's arguments were cogent. Now, it's not a given that just because they are, they're a famous person that their arguments are accurate, right? Even if they're cogent, you know, even if they're convincing, it doesn't mean they're true. And it doesn't take much to convince people these days, right? So the, uh, the, 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 it's, we're looking for valid evidence. 
But in most cases, famous names or quotes are simply assertions without evidence. The weight or prestige of their prestige of their name has no power to the critical thinker. Right? Simply appealing to what you have read or what someone wrote is not sufficient to prove anything. We all might quote someone, you know, uh, to trigger as, as a trigger to ponder, but it's it's not proof of anything. You know, it's because somebody happened to uh, like people say, "Oh, great minds." Well, yeah, there's a lot of people that are smarter about a lot of other things, but just because some famous person wrote something doesn't mean it's then even if they're not famous, even if it's just what they wrote was famous, does not mean it's true. And it's same same goes with appeals to education. Just because I took a course in astronomy doesn't mean whatever I claim about astronomy is true, right? It's a, a fantastic lesson in uh, on critical thinking was an unintended effect uh, from a book I, I once read as a kid. And it was a book of quotes all jammed together ad hoc. Now, I mean, when you get all these famous quotes, it's hard to categorize. And they try to, but, you know, it's... Anyways, but some, a lot of them were diametrically opposed ideas, even if they're on a similar subject. So this this made this book very uh, enlightening, right? Maybe that was their intention. I don't think so, but because uh, it was just some cheap book of quotes, right? Could have been, maybe just because it's cheap doesn't mean they weren't uh, intelligent people who organized it. But uh, they were all, these quotes were like diametrically opposed to each other. Like there'd be a group sort of agreeing and then there'd be a group that it's like the exact opposite. And it was, it was enlightening to see quotes uh, by famous people that all seemed like the gospel truth when they were isolated. When you hear that one single quote by itself, you're like, that is such a truth. There's no way that that could be wrong. But then when you, you read the next one, it's, it feels exactly the same, but it, uh, it disagreed 100% <laughs> with the one you just read. So and you start realizing, well, hold on, there's something going on more here, right? Maybe assertions that sound good and plausible are not, right? They're not fact, right? So then you start thinking, well, maybe there's something more to this. Maybe we should be a little more critical about what we believe, right? So especially, it was, it was it's really good when you read these and you see they all disagree. Not they don't all disagree, but there's a bulk that disagree with each other as a collection. So there was no uh, cohesive narrative or moral to the book. And, uh, you know, it was, it was not a story. It was just a bunch of quotes, period. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think it was ever meant to be read as a book. So this is what makes me think that they didn't really organize it like that specifically for what I got out of it. It was more of a, a reference as the publisher tried to frame it into sections, but it, it was a weak attempt, right? So it was just somebody probably had all these um, public domain quotes from famous people that have been dead for longer than 50 years or whatever, and they that is re- put them together in a collection and published it, tried to make money off something that, you know they didn't even write. So I think the... the um, you know, they're like the, what do you call it? The crusty crown, the crusty, the clown of, uh, of publishing houses, right? The benefit, benefit of the, uh, the, the, the publisher didn't see, I'm assuming was the lesson in critical thinking that it gave. Now, maybe they did, but uh, it was just the, the juxtaposition, the, the comparison side by side, which slapped me in the face and forced my, my little brain to realize, uh, quotes are not facts and famous people are not any smarter than the average bear. Not to say that they can't be. I mean, obviously there's a lot of people who are super smart and a lot of famous people that are really stupid, especially when you hear it today, when we hear how the actors, you know, uh, having a voice on social media, you realize, holy cow, these people are stupid, right? And, uh, you know, it's, it's obvious if you think about it, right? But it, it, 
it took most of that book, me reading through that book, I, I, I'd, I would see the contradictory, uh, the comments, and then, you know, then I'd sort of go back to my old ways, right? Then I'd, I'd see another one, I'd see another one. And it took pretty much the entire book of repetition of these contradictory quotes to start setting into my brain that maybe these people just don't know what they're talking about, right? Many, many contradictory quotes, you know, to, uh, it took a while for me to get a grip on the, this cognitive disharmony. Uh, you know, that the official sounding postulate can be false and by famous people, no less. And uh, so it, it was a two, four. So I realized famous people maybe don't know what they're talking about and really good sounding quotes, uh, you know, assertions may not be true. So I was taught that lesson, I think, by chance, by by reading that as a, as a book, as a narrative, as a single narrative. But, you know, all these late years later, I still catch myself falling for assertions and baseless platitudes, you know. I wonder how many I still miss, just because you know people say stuff. And if you, if you don't, if you're not on the ball, it's easy to say, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." And then you, you move on. You don't you don't slow down and think about. Hold on a sec. Wait. Let's take a beat. Right. It's so easy not to take a beat and just assume that these platitudes are true. So they can be wrong, and so can famous people, as can experts, especially experts. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, assigned, are they assigned experts, um, designated as experts by, uh, journalists, right? Journalists of course are, you know, bullshit. So the fact that they assign someone as an expert, the, you know, the whole, the whole chain of it, it's compromised, right? So especially, uh, they have experts who are outside of their field, but even within their field, as we've seen with the doctors making medical truths about more bacon and in more modern times, the same kind of thing still happening. And presumably these doctors are experts in their field and they still come up with these blatant bullshit conclusions, which they should absolutely know better. And they probably do. And that's what makes me think that they've got to be corrupted. So humans can manage pretty well and get through life without being uh, critical thinkers. Obviously we see a lot of people who've, you know, retired that are absolute fucking morons, right? So though our opinions probably won't be our own if we're, if we're not critical thinkers and, you know, like pets or workhorses of some, some uh, unknown master who hires perception management council to, to train us, to pull the plow and defend our cognitive master's opinions with great emotional vigor, right? Because that's what happens. These you, when you, people have been conditioned. It's not that they just say, "Hmm, you know, I think it's probably that." It's usually they're very emotional, and they're, they they start calling you names and everything. It's like, hold on, man, why are you so emotionally attached to this one interpretation of these facts or or, or, or pre presumed facts? They may not even be facts. It could be bullshit facts, right? But uh, not even not even the uh, if you remember the uh, Star Trek Next Generation and their Borg, not even their the Borg drone is an equivalent example as they are part of the uh, collective. They at least still have their original mind somewhere in the noise. This is assassination of the mind and replacing it with an artificial mind fabricated by some jackass with big money. So. I'm not sure one can defend a conditioned opinion without great emotional vigor as, you know, a conditioned opinion without emotional, great emotional vigor, you know, as an anecdote. So you, you think back to somebody who argues with you about something and, you know, a lot of people get heated and then, then they start getting emotional about things, but they don't, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong, but 
it's almost always when someone you you sense it, you get this feeling. Whoa, what's this? They're not listening to reason or fact. They just they 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 have these these shutters behind their eyes, as uh, Roger Waters once said about talking to people like this. That you could see the shutters, or you could sense kachung the big shutters closing behind their eyeballs, and they're not listening. <laughs> they're uh, they're on automatic mode. So cognitive masters um, of of perception management and their uncritical exploitable slaves, right? Truly cognitive slaves as those manipulated targets are not paid, right? They're not paid for their, their defending of their master's opinions. You know, in, in fact, it's the opposite. The cognitive slaves are paying for their cognitive masters uh, with, with behavior by buying and doing and saying and, and thinking what they are manipulated to. Like this is, it's, it's way worse than slavery. Perception management establishment and they're cognitive slaves. They aren't targets. They are slaves. They're worse than slaves. Slaves are at least aware that they're slaves. Cognitive slaves are so broken that they're willing to defend their manipulators. Now, I mean, in real life, perhaps there were actual slaves who defended their, they were broken as well, and, and, and they defended their masters. But I mean, that's like, you know, like a hardcore Stockholm syndrome kind of thing going on. But military military uh, training, I'm sure many people have been through military training. I was top recruit, basic training. Uh, it isn't too different. You know, one is conditioned to do and not question. You know, my old government job had a lot of former military and, you know, surprise, surprise, right? Cognitive slavery is is two orders of magnitude worse than just physical slavery. Enslaving not just one's thoughts, but the entire mode of thinking, the, the, how they reason, how they, they rationalize things, how they come up, you know, it's, it's not just that they're, their, their conclusions are wrong. It's how they came about those conclusions was a wrong path, right? It was irrational. So control the nose ring and you control the beast. You know, even, even literal beasts of burden are only conditioned to do what they are told, not, not what to think and worse, the mode of thought they employ, right? You don't, we don't train our dogs to think a certain way. We just train them to do what they're told, right? So even they aren't as manipulated as humans, right? By public relations. So, you know, religions and, and monarchies have been mind, mind fucking, uh, the, the people for centuries. So who is defending against it? You know, if left to the individual, we are each fighting a vast machine of evil. We are each a Chinese holding his, his bag of groceries and a briefcase in front of a line of tanks as, as that famous image in Tiananmen Square. Though, uh, though that was a protest of thousands against the brutal Chinese, uh, Chinese, Chinese regime. You know, the death count uh, is somewhere around 10,000 people, according to the BBC. The Communist Party opened fire indiscriminately into the crowd of thousands. That is collectivist communism. The only time that's that happens today, and there was recently, uh, it was a year ago, this guy was... Uh, I think he was just charged recently. It was an Antifa guy somewhere uh, in the United States. I think it was probably Oregon. And there was a protest, and he was indiscriminately shooting into a crowd of people who he disagreed with. Now, that is CCP tactics that the Antifa are using. 
And thankfully, the police got the guy, and thankfully, they arrested him and charged him. But the attorney general, you know, in, in, in Oregon and a lot of these states are just total scumbags that are like, oh, these are Antifa? We'll let them walk. It's, it's disgusting. There's no justice. Anyways, uh, so it's important to note the, the army is not the Chinese army in China. They are the army of the Communist Party. It's a political party's army, not an army of the nation. <laughs> that is a lot of things people don't consider, right? It's, I mean, maybe it's not a big deal, but that's pretty scary when you think about that. It's a partisan army, not an army of the nation. This is, seems to be what's going on today in the West where they're filtering the military people. So PR are, uh, are like real estate agents or, you know, used car salesmen. Their goal is to close a deal, not do what's best for their target. It's hunters and prey. Now, lawyers have an obligation to do what's best for their client. They have a legal obligation to do what's best for their client. Realtors and salesmen and other uh, manipulators do not. PR, they, they don't have a, a legal. Now, I wonder if they do have a legal. Like it depends on the, on the contract they sign with their client. They might have a legal representation to do what's best for their client. But then what's best for their client may be subjective, right? So is it about making money? Maybe uh, if they get away with things, was, was it the result? Is the ends that justify the means, you know? Anyways, uh, doctors, I think, are supposed to uh, also have a, uh, a legal obligation to do what's best for the patient. But uh, this doesn't seem to be what's going on today. Um, you know, who knows anymore with, with uh, regulatory capture? Regulatory capture seems to be getting worse. There's this guy, Jordan Peterson, today who's being threatened by his regulatory agency, the Psychologists College or whatever they're called, of Ontario. And uh, they, because he, he, he posted, he reposted a, the, the leader of the opposition's uh, uh, tweet or, or uh, message about something, and it was you know innocuous, just a political thing. He didn't agree with the prime minister. And Jordan Peterson also tweeted independently uh, that he disagreed politically with what the prime minister of this nation uh, has done or said. I don't know the details of it other beyond that. And uh, so the, the college is obviously a uh, compromised, uh, uh, it's captured by the partisans of the, the whatever the, I don't know how you want to frame them. It's amorphous, other the globalist, whatever uh, Trudeau and his scumbags, same as the United States, the, the Democrats, they, they answer to the same globalist World Economic Forum type garbage. And uh, if, you, if, if the regulatory body uh, obviously is, is compromised to that, then they are threatening. Now it's overtly uh, people like Jordan Peterson. So I wonder what happened to doctors if during the pandemic, if they were told, you know, do not... Uh, you know, give uh, any treatment beyond the vaccine, right? Do not give, do not even tell them about vitamin D or C or taking vitamins and lots of sleep and zinc and, you know, all these other things or, you know, ivermectin, oh God, horse paste, you know, despite it winning all those, you know, Nobel prizes and, and saving millions of lives and being on the world uh, health organization's essential medicines and being, uh, before the before the fucking pa pandemic, it was noted as being as safe as fucking aspirin. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, as, as the, uh, was it DARPA that up until 2018, I think, did a, uh, a, a study on uh, coronaviruses, and they found that ivermectin was the the first uh, 
what do you call it? The, the, the treatment that you give immediately uh, for coronaviruses if there was a pandemic. And all of a sudden, so they knew about this before the pandemic. And all of a sudden, no, it's horse pace now. What the fuck? It is, it is scary the shit that these, that's going on. Right? Anyways, sidebar. But, uh, but not only, getting back to PR, um, not only does PR apparently not care if the narrative for their client is good for the public or not, as, as you will hear later, they are sadistic sociopaths that actually want things. Uh, or the, he mentioned, I, I got to be careful how they say this because he, Edward Bernays says this. And so I, I think I quoted later on, but uh, he, he they, they actually want things to be bad for others, to, to expend energy, to, out of, to go out of their way, to make things worse for others with no benefit to the antagonist. Like this is, it is insane. Some of the stuff and you think, well, why would they do that? That doesn't make sense. It's costing them energy, resources, and time, right? Well, I guess it's, that's redundant because resources means energy, uh, you know, cash and time, right? So anyways, so slave does sound uh, hyperbolic when in fact slave is not a strong enough concept for, as I mentioned earlier, and, and what remains of the target's free will has been completely destroyed. And, uh, at least on that one specific topic. And it is funny how brains appear to be working this way. It's, it's topic based. It's not in, you know, your entire ideology. It's, you could do it on very specific subjects. And, uh, for example, Donald Trump, you say the word, right? People respond to that. They're not talking about, you know, generally Republicans or, or whatever other classes he may be in, you know, billionaires or, or, you know, uh, uh, possibly crooked, um, you know, uh, property management, whatever the fuck he, I don't know how he got his money, uh, in, you know, New York, uh, property barons, you know, I don't know what exactly the guy, you know, did. I don't Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point being that, uh, you know, we, we respond. So, uh, on a specific topic. Now there's a lot of other people that you might've heard of, like say Bloomberg right now, you may not respond to that about that guy, even though he's probably most likely even more crooked than Trump ever, ever was right. Not saying that either of these guys are, but it's just most likely if on the scale of corruption, which one would be worse. Right. And, and, and what are we, if we are not our beliefs and our free will? And so if, if our free will is being attacked and that is what they're removing, they are stealing it. You know, that mystical part of us, you know, our, our id, our soul, whatever you call it, it's been stolen or, or killed, destroyed, you know, replaced with a host of holy horrors to direct our aimless dance. That's a, a line from, uh, Neil Peart, one of the Rush songs, can't remember what it is, replaced with a host of holy horrors to direct our aimless dance. I can't remember what song that's from. A planet of playthings, we dance on a string of powers of what we cannot perceive. <laughs> well, it's free will. That's it. The song's from free will. So our free will, oddly enough, right? Our free will is, uh, is not so much stolen as, as killed, uh, or destroyed and, and completely erased. Right? This could be a reason why any discussion on consciousness, psyche, spirit, uh, anima, pneuma, whatever you want to call it, are considered woo-woo by the establishment. They don't want targets to realize their souls, for lack of a better word, are being destroyed and replaced with a foreign wairua. You know, they could, uh, they could also be, uh, why there's such vehemence 
opposition to all aspects of religion by leftists. Uh, it's easier to destroy someone's soul if they don't believe they have one. <laughs> this also jibes with nihilism and collectivism and, and all the other evils. Right? I choose free will. Right? I say let the people's individual, true, organic uh, thinking processes and opinions happen based on truth, objective truth, as close as we can get. Though one could argue that this is what's happening on a larger scale. Right, the, the manipulators are enacting their evil as per their genetic programming, their free will. So at what, uh, you know, does your free will end uh, before your fist hits my nose? You know, at what point, like, can you move around and so long as you don't hit me, right? One could uh, retort that we are also genetically programmed to be predators and savages, and we don't allow manhunting and murder on the streets, as that's all our uh, civilizations on this planet pretty much have evolved to, right? So outside of, you know, private islands, you know, where the 1% can molest girls and manhunt captured vagrants and dissidents with impunity, which were conspiracy theories, right? The, uh, what was that, the, the Nexium cult was a conspiracy theory until all of a sudden there's overwhelming evidence and nope, it, nobody ever called it a conspiracy theory and Epstein's Island, right? Oh, that's conspiracy theory. The, the 1% elite aren't uh, doing that kind of stuff and turns out they did and and, and they arrested, well, they killed Epstein and then they, 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 they convicted, uh, what's her face? But not one John. The, did the FBI have a list of all the Johns? Who are all these wealthy bastards that were on the island, right? All we hear about is that one royal was it the queen's brother or whatever. But we don't, and, and uh, well, Bill Gates and uh, uh, Bill Clinton. <laughs> but these are the only, I don't know why those guys' names are allowed to be leaked. I guess it was whatever reason. But all the other rich assholes. And it's not just rich assholes. It's specific ones that went to that island. Like, who are these people, right? I want the list. These people should be held accountable. If the if if Epstein was held accountable, the Johns are just as uh, responsible. They're the ones that were doing the deeds and paying for it. So who paid for it and who did it? I think those people are more responsible than the Johns who supplied the service, uh, or not the Johns, the uh, the Epstein's who who uh, supplied the service for the Johns. Anyways, uh, so uh, leave out the fiction. You know, Epstein's island was real, and uh, are there man hunts? Well, let's ask the Clintons. <laughs> Perhaps they don't need to go to islands to, uh, to uh, Clinton people to uh, suicide them. Perhaps it's my genetics or my conditioning, whatever the reason. I feel this cognitive assassinate, assassination, assassination is detrimental to whatever our true organic purposes as a species. So let the women bob cut their hair if they want. And uh, let's forget what the control freaks want and their PR, right? But this this artificial system of uh, big money controlling things is, you know, it's like a monopoly. Now, I'm not saying I'm not against capitalism, I'm totally for capitalism, but what I'm against is monopolies. And I've heard people talking on the radio saying how monopoly is a, a, is a uh, instructional uh, or a warning against capitalism. It's not a warning against capitalism. It's a warning against monopoly, right? Centralized control. It's, it's a warning against centralized control is what it is. So how do the sadists justify the energy to control others? To disconnect the target's organic um, pneuma. 
uh, erase what psyche is left in the in the corpse and then saturate the remaining mental tissue with the client's excreta <laughs> money and power right drones targets are transmogrified anybody who's read Calvin and Hobbes that's the only place I've ever seen that word right but uh, the, the targets are transmogrified from humans into wyruic drones so controlling the people at this level is clearly a greater power than just money there is no moral justification and if people were aware of what side they are actually defending I think things would get very difficult for the manipulator class so this topic is is very uh, a very important subject uh, one of the most possibly the most yet it is ignored by our society at large and and makes me feel like a uh, an old coot that big ass white beard an old coot standing on a mountain uh, yelling at the sky so if people are exposed to uh, to it cogently and they still choose to ignore it then I suppose they are entitled to their losses some people have uh, have a have a difficult enough time trying to get by in life and and leave all the pondering to others right and that's understandable if if you've been uh, oppressed to the point where you have to work and you don't have any free time to think that's one of the tools of manipulation so perhaps I could uh, I should start a cult to uh, condition people to not be conditioned into cults <laughs> of course I would use the Orwellian term uh, as in you know the the opposite the the anti-cult as the name for my cult the cult of free will I wouldn't be surprised uh, if uh, Marxists or woke bigots haven't already used the term cult of free will the the collectivist scum that they are so PR is clearly not analogous to a defense lawyer Bernays also refers to the court of public opinion this court has only one lobbyist one advocate and that is forever who is behind the big money paying for it in the court of public opinion PR give the best argument for their clients with no one giving the counter argument so do unsuspecting people deserve to be manipulated because they don't know better does the hunter think the rabbit deserves to be shot because he doesn't know better you know these are incongruent questions I'm not crapping on hunters we all eat I'm comparing those two questions to show how it appears Bernays is viewing his targets they are simply pray uh, there is a hint of uh, degradation by Bernays towards his targets he defines mob psychology as the intolerance of human society for a dissenting point of view he's using human society which employs everyone is in his definition of mob psychology there is no proof that there even is uh, mobs or mob psychology now you can have crowds of people but they are all individuals they all might agree on something but there's no this uh what do you call it Gustavian uh crowd type mob psychology where it takes over people's it's in my earlier podcast on on uh, Gustav Lebon if you don't know what I'm talking about but uh so if it does exist uh it is is certainly not all of human society otherwise we wouldn't call it mob psychology we would just call it psychology if it's if it affects everybody right the definition of a mob is a large crowd 
though elitists sometimes refer to the common man, the populace, someone without title as the mob. I'm sure it's uh, not meant as a term of endearment and is derogatory. That Bernays is using it indicates his target audience is the elites and not the, the common man. While intolerance for a dissenting uh, point of view is a thing, it's not called mob psychology, it's called bigotry. So Bernays is claiming everyone in human society is a bigot, which is a pretty hefty stereotype, but I think he believes it. He claims the mob psychology has made it difficult and often dangerous for a man to plead a new or unpopular cause. So Bernays is talking about when the target realizes that they are being sold shit stew and it's, it's not being done clandestinely behind five layers of deception or, or, you know, they're unaware of it. So this may also be written with his future clients in mind as, uh, this book is apparently meant, uh, to sell the need of PR to the elite. So Bernays may be using his PR shtick on the reader to reframe the mob psychology concept as a dog whistle to his reader that PR can use mob psychology as a weapon against the dissenting point of view. Now it's, he's using dissenting point of view as, uh, you know, those of us who, you know, we all, a rational person realizes that it because somebody has a dissenting point of view, that's not a bad thing. And in generally, a dissenting point of view is a good thing, right? You want to go against dogma, dogma of the authority, right? So if you have a dissenting point of view, these are the important views. What's wrong with it? These are the people that, that notice something is wrong. So it's very important to hear dissenting points of view. But here, um, Bernays is stealing the concept of the dissenting point of view. He's the authoritarian who is trying to brainwash the public, and yet he's he's spun it to the point of they're the dissenting point of view. They're the the rebels fighting against the machine, right? The machine being the people, right? So the people, it's it, it's 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 spooky how these PR people can spin things 180 degrees. So if the the uh, the big money wants to enforce a new, uh, or a, uh, a different ideology, truth be damned. It's, this is, this is what their view is that you should have. And if you dare speak up against it, you know, uh, they're the dissidents, you're the authority that they're trying to show you the truth, right? It's such bullshit. But, uh, PR, uh, can use mob psychology, uh, both to push their, their client's narrative and it can be used as, uh, an excuse for the voices of dissent, even if their voices are calling for something alien to PR, which is the truth. Mob psychology for offense and defense. It's, it's interesting. Like most, most people don't think these ways, right? You wouldn't think that they would think these ways, but here we're being exposed to it. So you start realizing, hmm, yeah, mob psychology as an offensive tool against the people. Right. So imagine a, the, uh, the caustic rhetoric by the hairnet company or the hairnet PR team directed towards the innocent woman who argued that her to, uh, that she wanted to bob cut her own hair, right? You don't own your own body. We own your body and your mind. You slave don't cut your hair. That is our hair. We need you to buy our hairnets, right? It's so anyways, Bernays writes, 
Um, Napoleon expressed so nearly the spirit of the PR council's work when he said, circumstance, I make circumstance. So Bernays writes that he gathered intel on the public mind from the facts of life, articles and papers and magazines, ads, speeches from government, anecdotes from uh, smoking rooms, <laughs> gossip on Wall Street theater, and, uh, and others like him. So that sounds pretty, uh, or super sketchy, you know, he, he writes things, uh, like, uh, first of all, there are circumstances and events Pierre can help create, you know, create. So circumstances are being created by PR. Now this is <laughs> flag should be going up here, right? Apparently to push its narrative, PR uses movies, radio ads, t uh, um, news, speeches, parades, articles, whatever whatever media is available, right? So Bernays rambles on about how, how difficult it is to achieve or maintain what a public mind is. I would agree it's difficult, in fact, impossible, uh, as there is no public mind, only a collection of desperate or uh, disparate, uh, separate, unique minds who don't all agree. Now, there are many modes of, uh, of beyond movies and radio and ads. It could be even to the point of a store selling only certain things, right? Uh, like a nostalgia store uh, trying to only push a, a new narrative that only sells certain things. You know, I don't want to go down that road too much because then it starts sounding really crazy, but uh, and maybe it is. <laughs> but if you go to some of these stores, you start looking you're like, oh, that's pretty woke. That's pretty woke. Oh, that's pretty woke. Uh, where's all the, uh, nope, there's no, uh, you know, anyways. But uh, but Bernays thinks using the fallacy of stereotype, he, he, he explicitly says he uses the, the logic of stereotype. So, of course, he finds it, it difficult. And, and you'll see that he actually does use the logic of stereotype. He's not, a, he's an anti-critical thinker. So the fact there are disagreements and elections would suffice to prove to even an imbecile that there is no one collective, uh, one public mind. People have different opinions, right? People have different views. And, and the fact that he's trying to change their views, it's, it's so self-evident, right? That, that there is no one public mind. So you may try to defend Bernays and put words in his mouth, but that is not what he is explicitly saying. And this is the thing with a lot of manipulation. They, people try to make sense, right? And it's, and that's where the manipulation comes in because they're, they're leaving, uh, dots for you to connect, which lead down the merry path of, you know, bullshit. And if you connect those dots, then it seems more plausible because you connected those dots. This is what he really means, right? So it's sort of like what I'm doing now, but I'm not following his dots. I'm challenging his dots. So with, with, uh, with a heap of, uh, of, of charity, we could interpret his actual meaning to be a critical mass of the public, right? A, a more sophisticated view would be for him to claim the various schools of thought or groups who share a certain view, keeping in mind the complexity of the individual and anyone can have any view on anything. But Bernays demonstrates his idiotic logic of overgeneralization. He writes, the lawyer can tell what arguments will appeal to the court. If that were true, 
no lawyer would ever lose his case, which is a logical absurdity given every case has a losing lawyer. <laughs> so it's also why, you know, why would Bernays say that in this book? Why, why would Bernays say that his, the, the, the lawyer can tell what argument will appeal to his, to the court, right? The, the expert knows his subject, right? So what's he trying to say, right? He's trying to, he's clearly trying to, to beat his target audience on the need for the expert, the need for the lawyer in court. Well, he's trying to say that's the same reason why you need, uh, the need for PR, right? This is just him trying to sell PR to the reader. So you wouldn't go to court without a lawyer. Well, you shouldn't. And I've been creating this courtroom analogy uh, for pages to try to dupe you of the necessity of PR. Like that's essentially what he's saying, right? And, and that's the best he could come up with. So Bernays continues along this line of manipulation. He says, uh, the salesman knows what points to stress to his buyers and the politician what to emphasize to his audience. So there's a long tail of politicians who don't win and many salesmen who do not sell. So interpretation is the art of judgment. Literal interpretation we see at face value or a natural interpretation where we fill in the missing parts and make connections, which may be false connections or phantom connections, right? This is the slippery slope where apophenia tries to come in or they try to take advantage of apophenia, right? The manipulators. So uh, we don't want to be making any large leaps of logic that weren't explicitly said, you know, or we will give a false positive and believe the bullshit. Conversely, we don't want to ignore valid evidence or we will be giving the false negative and calling something potentially true bullshit. So judgment strives for the type 1.5 apophenic, you know, the balanced judgment, the, the questioned reasoner, right? Do not jump to conclusions. Do not jump from point to point. Don't jump, no jumping. So uh, we, uh, we want to be a little bit meta, you know, why are we even talking about this in this context or, or arguing this point, right? This is a good question to, to ask ourselves often. We definitely cannot allow natural interpretations of vague generalizations as proof of anything. But, uh, Bernays finishes this, the sales pitch of PR to the target audience of elites or elites, um, elites. Uh, he, he makes them sound, um, less dominant, right? Uh, with the, uh, the ability to estimate group reactions on a large scale over a wide geographic and psychological area is a specialized ability. Yes, specialized because it is impossible. Bernays logic is calling all of the colors of the rainbow, a single color. It is a logical absurdity. Now you could argue, yes, you could put all the colors together and make it white, but, but then you're not explaining or demonstrating or acknowledging all the separate colors that do exist. Right. So they're all in there, but, uh, anyways, so yet he, he lets his freak flag fly and, and hangs it out in the open for, for all to see. And, and he's not embarrassed about it. He doesn't see anything wrong with it. Or like a con man, he's pretending that he doesn't see anything wrong with it. So he could frame a new term or refer to the uh, rainbow as color, but that's not what he's selling. He's selling, uh, he's not selling the concept of, 
of, of uh, opinion. He's selling the articulation of the specific colors, the specific opinions. He goes on uh, to dig himself deeper. It's a specialized ability which must be developed with the same painstaking self-criticism and the same dependence on the on experience that are required for the development of the clinical sense and the doctor or surgeon. <laughs> what a load of shit. First off, recent grads are shown to be more accurate in diagnosis of the more rare disease symptoms as it's still fresh in their minds and they've been exposed to updated knowledge and revisions as medical sciences advances. Second, the association of PR with that of a clinical doctor is a blatant and uh, pathetic uh, attempt, you know, to of association like like a uh, a rooting a, a a cheap magician or a, there's a there's an old timey word for that, but I can't think of it right now. It's not cliche, obvious, boring, unimaginative, weak, anemic. I can't think of it, but uh, you get the idea. It's blatant and pathetic to try to associate PR with that of a clinical doctor. And even then, his, his, his association is wrong. So I will, uh, I, I, I can picture Wilma Flintstone saying droll, Fred, real droll, but she's being sarcastic. And I think droll actually means uh, amusing, oddly or, or whimsical, it's comical. So crass, is it crass? I think crass is the word I was looking for. Uh, it's crude, unrefined as to be lacking in discrimination and sensibility. Interesting how the word uh, discrimination means both power to make fine distinctions and it also means treatment based on a class or category rather than individual merit, which is the opposite as treatment based on uh, category is not making a distinction about an individual in a class or category ascribed to them. <laughs> so wokeism is discrimination as it is treatment based on category. Wokeism is crass. It lacks the ability to make fine distinctions and capacity to respond intelligently to refined emotions. It is a blunt weapon of hate and division. Crass is a concept that feels like it's been suppressed from our society. Though crass is the, uh, might be the word I was looking for. It doesn't really convey what I, I wanted to about Bernays' association of PR with a clinical doctor. My, uh, my original description of blatant and pathetic, I think, is better. But uh, I need to use the word crass more. <laughs> so why does discrimination have a, uh, an, an Orwellian anti-definition? You know, what's up with that? Why does it have the opposite it's, it's also it's, itself is the opposite definition of itself, right? There is in, in a certain interpretation. So there is uh, some force that doesn't want us to have discriminating minds, perhaps. Or maybe people just use it sarcastically, and that's how it came about, right? As an ability to, to make fine distinctions and the capacity to respond intelligently to refined emotions. It's like our model of uh, concepts as buckets, Right. The more sophisticated and knowledgeable we get, the smaller and more refined our buckets become. We discriminate between the nuances of our smaller buckets. To, uh, to not be discrimination in that context would be uh, to be coarse, less, less accurate, simplistic, uh, overgeneralized, indiscriminate. 
So why does the woke ideology use the negative connotation of discrimination in action? And uh, how is that not attacked by the majority of people? This indicates those who do not speak up are either knowledgeable and prevented from speaking up, or they are unknowledgeable and are useful idiots to the ideology, or indifferent perhaps. So that is, they are what they claim to fight, right? They are, they are discriminating bigots who think in stereotypes. Also, given the trope of doctors being, uh, you know, the white coat black art, you know, and regulatory capture, is that, uh, is that really an association that Bernays wants to make? But it's not the stereotype, right? He's, he's, he's using, he's thinking in stereotype and he's hoping the readers just think of doctors in the stereotypical view that, you know, the white coat, the, you know, the witch doctor, right? They the knowledgeable, they have the dark arts, right? Bernays writes that PR uses the same practical means of gauging the public mind that advertising uses. So, which again, is there even a public mind? No, right? So, uh, which he claims are, you know, research campaigns, the symposium. I don't think, uh, I don't use the word symposium too often, but uh, I, I, it, you know, means, you know, conferences. I think it uh, can also mean magazines, a collection of, uh, of writing, like a, like a magazine. Though it can mean, uh, you know, a party, right, uh, with booze and music, right, uh, uh, the symposium, right, they got uh, the intellectual discussions among the ancient Greeks where they got drunk and they had symposiums or, or symposium. I think it was a singular when they had, well, it depends. So PR also uses surveys on target groups or those of a particular state of mind. How Bernays would know what the state of mind someone has before he asks is unknown, right? They're going to use stereotype. They say, well, this person lives in the country. They're, they're going to think this way, right? Like a lot of the, the partisans in politics, they judge people by where they live. Never mind uh, other things, just your, your geography. You believe this because you live there, right? It's that crazy. So at least Bernays claims PR confirms uh, or modifies their own appraisals and judgments. So he's, he's saying they do take in feedback, which I don't think they really do, right? But especially with his examples, how we, <laughs> they come up with uh, an asserted truth and then they use the doctors to, uh, and, 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 and uh, leading artists to do studies to uh, confirm their, 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 their asserted truths, right? So he quotes uh, um, Charlie Rosebalt, who says PR with proper training have a keen sense of the likes and dislikes of what we call the public. That is the average man and woman. So who cares what Charlie Rosebalt asserts just because he asserted it? So this is, you know, does this mean anything? What, what evidence is he using to make that claim? There's still no proof of a unified like or dislike of the public. He then goes full propaganda by claiming the compass is no more sensitive to direction nor mercury to temperature than is the expert to the influence of publicity upon the mind and emotions of the man in the street. <laughs> this is in the classic uh, for the, the non sequitur. It's a classic for the non sequitur uh, logical fallacy, right? In this case, uh, spew two examples of something perceived as accurate and true and then immediately associate them with whatever uh, bullshit uh, you want to project.
The clock is not more sensitive to time nor the measuring stick to distance than is this podcast to the dark arts of manipulation. That sounds sounds good, right? But it's a non sequitur. How accurate a clock is or how accurate a, a measuring device is has no correlation to how accurate the podcast is or how accurate you know the bullshit PR people are. There's, there's, it's a non sequitur. There is no correlation between the two, right? But it sounds good. Oh, yeah, wow. So one might claim he's just using uh, flowery rhetoric, you know, or metaphor, but that's moot. His point is still bullshit. It is just an, uh, an assertion with zero evidence. You can smell the, the hard sell. Bernays is, is clearly trying to sell PR to his target audience, which happens to be the elites. <laughs> he claims, broadly speaking, the importance of either making one's case accessible to the public mind or of determining whether that cause will impinge favorably or unfavorably have resulted in the need for PR. Whether the story will have an unfavorable effect for the client, not the targets, of course, right? It's all about the perspective from the client. Bernays quotes the uh, douchebag Littman once again, who wrote, the enormous discretion as to what facts and what impressions shall be reported is steadily convincing every organized group that whether it wishes to secure publicity or not, the discretion, the, the exercise of discretion cannot be left to the reporter. It is safer to hire a press agent who stands between the group and the newspapers. We can tentatively assume press agent here means PR, even though Bernays, not, uh, yeah, Bernays earlier uh, argued that there's a, a, a distinction between the, the press man and the uh, the press agent and public relations and the ad man. He was trying to, uh, you know, divide them up into more sophisticated buckets. But here, obviously, Littman is just conflating uh, press agent with PR. Otherwise, why is he including this in a book about PR, right? So there must have been some uh, negative impressions of PR back in the day, I assume, because people were pretty smart, right? Uh, Bernays uh, fights it by by reading this uh, the line here. It's clear that the popular impression of the scope and functions of the Council on PR must be radically revised if any accurate picture of the profession is to be looked for. The PR Council is the lineal descendant of the circus advance man and of the semi-journalist promoter of small part actresses. <laughs> right, so, so PR is the direct descendant of the carny grifter, the, the loud mouth before the, uh, the circus comes to town, the guy walking down the street screaming and yelling, circus is coming, you know. So Bernays claims the, uh, the economic conditions have changed the character of PR work, primarily to keep their clients from drifting into unfortunate or harmful situations and how to keep positive results in PR. Not primarily to uh, extricate them from difficulties into which they have drifted or to bring the clients uh, by chance to the public's attention. Why did he write that? It, it appears to convince his reader that not only do they need PR, you know, in times of emergency, but, uh, but not just to get them out of a, uh, a, uh, crappy public perception event, 
right? Uh, but they should have PR, not just on retainer, but have them on working all the time on, on everything, right? To keep them from drifting into the the, the shit show uh, in, in, in the first place, right? Based on, you know, economic considerations. It's cheaper for you to have us on staff, right? Than to slide in and have us to try to pull you out. That's right. So he's arguing it's cheaper to pay PR all the time instead of just when they are needed. So <laughs> he's not just selling PR. He's, he's trying to sell them to use PR all the time. So Bernays finishes uh, this section with uh, PR is a pleader uh, to the public of a point of view. He molds the action of his clients as well as molds public opinion. Does PR plead to the public or mold their opinion? Which is it? You know, he's the, he, so first they were pleading, now they're molding their opinion. So are they pleaders or are they molders, right? So he, uh, he starts talking about the group and the herd. Right, so I don't know if he's differentiating here between the group and the herd, but let's find out, right? With a title like that, uh, we can expect a uh, a reframing of angry townsfolk protesting outside of a uh, Monty Burns, you know, from The Simpsons, uh, his estate, because he turned down the uh, the electricity or turned it off, you know, to uh, a lot of assertions about the the boogeyman mob that is is charging. Uh, up the hill with pitchforks and, and torches with cries of, you know, burn the witch, you know, the poor innocent uh, a client, you know, poor, poor Mr. Burns, right? Release the hounds, Smithers. So I, I've noticed you, uh, I've noticed once you understand the concept of a logical fallacy, you start to see it and, uh, you know, it's being used by people who you, you would expect to know better, right? The a common combination is anecdote, a case of one, which is then used as proof of some stereotype. So added to that, the anecdote is often suffering from uh, uh, cum hoc ergo propter hoc, the, the causation correlation fallacy. So the uncritical person, usually uh, stressing that it was actually observed, or worse, that someone else told them they observed it. So there's a reason why uh, hearsay is not admissible and valid evidence in court, although I think the courts are weakening and starting to allow this shit, right? So the, the, the courts, along with every other uh, standard-based uh, thing in this in this country, has degraded to the point that, uh, that hearsay might be uh, more admissible. I don't know. So regardless, if, if something was observed, uh, it is a case of one. An anecdote, and it is insufficient to prove a stereotype. And we often don't know the, the actual cause of the event, which is often asserted with no evidence. And there's actually a lot of times when people just make, uh, you know, uh, bogus. It's, it's not even, it's not even an anecdote. It's a likely if this happened, right? Well, that again, so now you're using a, a fairy tale to try to prove a stereotype, right? Which are both wrong, right? So a fairy tale is the fabrication and the stereotype is it's wrong logic, right? Because it's not. It's just a, it's a sample size of too small, right, to prove anything. So you might think, hey, this this podcast guy here is uh, is using hearsay. He's talking about what other people say or, or what people might say, what other people might create, right? So hearsay is unverified information from someone else. I give you the the titles of the books that I'm talking about, and they are publicly available for everyone to read. It is verifiable. Verifiable. 
it is not rumor. It is not gossip. It is not something that I've created. I'm uh, showing you. I'm explaining it. So it's, it's not hearsay. So also, even if my uh, my examples were not real, even if it is a model of faulty thinking that is the important concept to grasp, you know, also, even, even if uh, an example is not real, it's the model of the faulty thinking that is the important concept to grasp. So even if it is just a, like a math problem, just a fabricated problem, it's the mode of thinking. It's that concept of that mode that you can watch out for. So it doesn't, it could be just a fabrication, right? But it's the actual mode. Um, so Bernays being the father of PR does add quite a bit to the context of what we're saying, right? In this case, it's not just the faulty mode of reasoning. It's who is using the faulty mode and is and his, his uh, explaining of how they are using it against us. The common mode or combination of falla, uh, fallacious arguments of anecdote to prove stereotype with unproven cause compounds their misconception. And this happens a lot with with manipulation. It's just not just one fault or fallacy. It's like a whole shit sandwich layer strata of, 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 uh, logical fallacies on top compounding each other. So it is not just wrong. It is wrong in many ways. So it makes sense, right? If if they're not using accurate reasoning, then they would of course use fallacious thinking at each mode or each node of reasoning, right? So when they come up to another spot where they have to make a decision or reason something, it's going to be wrong. And then that's going to lead to another one that's wrong. And then that's going to lead to another one that's wrong, right? If they are capable of valid reasoning, they might make a single mistake uh, of reasoning at a node, right? Like a lot of everybody makes mistakes, but they might, they would, if they were capable of, of reasoning, valid reasoning, they, they might still make a few mistakes, but at least, you know, the general path would be a little more accurate, right? But most of their logic would, you know, be sound. But these dorks who are exploitable targets themselves make faulty conclusions and their error is compounded with each iteration of node of, or, or node of reasoning. Every conclusion is based on uh, fallacious bullshit. It is clear that a, uh, a faulty node of thinking is critical for the manipulator to succeed, right? Otherwise they wouldn't need to manipulate you. If they're just explaining the truth, right? They could attack it in many different ways and you would still pretty much come up, oh, you know, we would hope, right? Although there's been a lot of times when people still argue against what is blatantly true. So it's like a boat. If you have a flaw, water will find its way in. If you have a flawed uh, reasoning, error will find its way in. In a way, these these monsters of manipulation are forcing us to get our shit together, just as the predator forces the prey to develop defenses that have effect. The ones that don't have effect get eaten. The ones that do uh, have effect survive, right? So we need to step it up. Uh, a buddy told me a uh, story of a friend uh, of his that fits the the common uh, combination of fallacy. Apparently, his buddy could not get a job until he changed the first name, his first name on his resume. So this is hearsay, anecdote, causation, correlation, all fallacy, right? What proof is there that it was the name change that caused him to successfully get a job? And if and if there was systemic discrimination against his ethnicity, which is why presumably he needed to change his name, why would the company still hire him when they saw his face, when they met him in person? They would 
boy, you can't fool them now. Oh, I got a different first name. I'm no longer that ethnicity, right? If you see the person, you'd still, you would see that they were. So if there was systemic discrimination against that ethnicity, they wouldn't have hired him regardless of what his name was, right? Or they only hire certain ethnicities with Western names. Like the fact that they hired him refutes his narrative. Or is he claiming there's systemic racism only against the names? You know, it's still not proven by his, his hearsay, his anecdote, and his, his causation correlation story. Perhaps the Toronto Star told him to think that way because you hear a lot of stories uh, in, in garbage uh, mags like that, you know, uh, where they make all these bullshit fantasy stories and, and false correlations. And uh, anyways, so is there, uh, is there an opportunity here for manipulators to capitalize on uncritical thought? Most people, I would think, who get things wrong are honestly misinterpreting things. And we all get things wrong at times. The danger is that they believe their misinterpretation. They think in absolutes, black and white, and have zero critical spirit. So the idea that they may be wrong is often too alien for them to consider. Nobody gets everything right all the time. Bernays asks the question, what is public opinion? Now, this ought to be good. What does Bernays think this? So here we go. Is, is he going to define uh, what public opinion is, right? This 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 fantasy phantom thing that he made up, right? Hopefully he'll define exactly what he means by public opinion. Uh, is it the opinion of journalists, like he claimed earlier, or is it the, uh, the people smushed into a monolithic stereotype? Well, he starts off claiming there are factors of the individual mind and the group mind. So claiming that there is a, uh, a group mind sans evidence is, is not a good start. But shockingly, uh, he drops uh, a warning. Society must understand the fundamental character of the work he, PR, is doing, if for no other reason than his own welfare. Wow. So the public should be weary of PR for their own welfare. That is a valid warning from Bernays. Right. So why, why would he write that line? Who is his target audience? It's not the general public, obviously. So this is a wink to the elites. So this is not a warning to the uh, to the to the the general public. This is a flex to the elites. Look what we can do, right? PR is a powerful weapon that they can use against the public, and the public needs to understand it to defend themselves, which they obviously won't because they are the mob, the illiterati. Right on prima facie, it would appear Bernays is doing um, the public a solid by warning them. But this fear porn might also be meant to sell more books on PR to the literati if they happen to be reading this. Right, but that is unlikely given the context and who the target audience is, as well as Bernays' apparent belief that society is a mob. If he actually believes it, why would he? He wouldn't believe that they would read his book. Right. Bernays defines public opinion as a term describing an ill-defined mercurial, which is unpredictable mood or mind. So a term describing an ill-defined mercurial and changeable group of individual judgments. All right. So he defined his, his definition defines it as ill-defined. <laughs> so a term, it's a, a term describing an ill-defined Mercurial. Okay, so he might just mean the mood. It's mercurial and changeable group of individual judgments. So their judgments are ill-defined 
and that's what he's defining as the public opinion. Maybe not his definition is ill-defined, which it is, but he's saying that their judgments are ill-defined. So he continues, public opinion is the aggregate result of individual opinions. Right, that's good. Now uniform, now conflicting, and the men and women who make up, of the men and women who make up society. So there are men and women who don't make up society. Is that what he's saying? So there's men and women who make up society, rather men and women don't. So he aggregates all the individual opinions into a stereotype. At least he recognizes that he may be, uh, he may be conflicting, conflating. Um, I would like to see him parse it into the weights or percentages of various opinions on a specific topic, but his simplistic view is that they either all agree or they don't. I don't imagine the public ever have a uniform opinion as an aggregate. Bernays foreshadows what he thinks of the people, which is not too much, uh, but let, let's hear him out. He refers to the mental equipment of an average individual consisting of the judgments not based on research and logical deduction, but for the most part, dogma accepted on the authority of parents, teachers, church, and his social and economic leaders. That's quite an assertion with no evidence to back it up. How does he know a sufficient percentage of people don't research or use logical deductions to make it average? He's using the word average, right? So we that means you could calculate it, but he's just asserting it. Also, Bernays is apparently aware of the logical logical uh, deductions, but fails to use them. Maybe he just knows the words. I mean, doesn't understand the concept. I don't know. Bernays is using the dogmatic assertions he claims the average person does, right? I'm not refuting his claim that the average person is an uncritical moron. They might well be. I'm just pointing out that he doesn't prove it. Also, to believe it otherwise would be subscribing to baseless dogma. I have met people who do research critically and use logic and avoid logical fallacies as best they can at all costs, but I can't definitely claim what percentage do versus what do not. I, you know, maybe we could do a study and try to you know, figure that out. I don't know. What, uh, what Bernays does is the same technique Mao uses in his propaganda. He infuses some critical um, sound, critical thinking ideas or elements and associates them, associ uh, juxta I hate using that word. He, he associates them. He, he puts them side by side with, with his ideology, his insanity, which is antithetical to those sound elements of logic and reason. It's like the non sequitur earlier where they threw a couple points and then, you know, tried to pin it to their, uh, their thing, right? Um, Bernays then craps on, uh, uncritical thinkers who claim to have all the answers on subjects they have little knowledge of. Well, let's hold up a mirror to Edward Bernays. <laughs> and he says, while, uh, the rational method would have told him on the great majority of these questions, there could be for him but one attitude, that of suspended judgment. Wow. So Bernays is at least aware of the concept of suspended judgment. But one of the critical thinkers who do use suspended judgment, the fact that that concept exists proves that there are some people who must use it. No? Why else would we have invented that concept if nobody uh, uses suspended judgment? Perhaps they are uh, 
not targets because they are critical thinkers and therefore not part of uh, the PR food chain. Bernays continues with his straw man stereotype of the average man. He claims they have settled views on many things they cannot know, such as the origin of the universe to subjective things they can, such as the meaning of the universe. How many people do you know are certain of how the universe formed? Maybe uh, more than I think. I don't know. It's definitely not the average in my experience. Be people religious or or uh, followers, uh, dogmatic followers of science. I mean, I've talked to people who believe without doubt that the Big Bang theory is exactly what happened. No doubt in their mind at all. Well, it's a theory. They could say, yeah, we back things up, but there's a lot of, it's a massively complex system. And there might be a lot of misinterpretations we've made of, you know, the, the, the red shifting of things. And there might be a lot of other factors involved that we are totally unaware of. It may not have been a big bang, right? Just as it may not have been God created it out of a creek or whatever the religious people believe. Um, yeah, so, so my experience is that, you know, religious, all different types of people aren't, that I've talked to are not certain, although I have talked to some that are certain either way. Um, but, uh, the same with the meaning of the universe. I don't know anyone who claims now, I don't know anybody actually who claims to know the meaning of the universe other than 42, right? Perhaps, you know, uh, Bernays tips his hat at the uh, pro-centralized elitists when he disregards the opinion of the average man when it comes to how countries should be run, you know, legislation, taxation, the, the use of vaccines, the treatment of the flu, art, literature, science, and bizarrely the prevention of hydrophobia, the irrational feel, fear of water. Now, I'm assuming he's talking about rabies. <laughs> Why? Maybe rabies was a really big deal back in the day. I don't know. But uh, this book is is clearly not targeting the average person on the street when he's crapping in their face, right? So it makes sense if he's using, uh, if he's targeting his, his potential clients, right? But why shit on the average Joe, right? To kiss up to the sociopathic elites. That's clearly the only reason that he would be doing this, right? Or is Bernays disregarding the validity of the opinions of the common man, a, a dehumanization of the common soul just to soothe his, his conscience regarding his profession's sociopathic attacks on the common man? But Bernays explicitly told us uh, to not rely on our conscience. So perhaps his guilt is subconscious and he's just dehumanizing the public so his target audience knows where PR stands on the issue. It's sort of, uh, they're idiots anyway, so there's no harm in my manipulating their opinions to whatever my client thinks they should be for whatever reason, moral or not. People are capable of figuring out things if they are given valid facts and not programmed or biased by conditioning to not see it. Once people are conditioned, the the veracity of their opinion is compromised and, uh, and PR is that conditioning. So Bernays should get off his high horse. He is the cause, right? Um, Bernays appeals uh, to the reader's anecdotes where uh, an amateur has tried to give expert advice in matters upon which his ignorance is patent to everyone except himself, 
right? We've all seen this and I'm sure we've all done this, right? So that person's ignorance is obvious to everyone. Like how everyone thought the earth was flat or how everyone thought the earth is stationary or how everyone thought thalidomide was safe without long-term studies, right? So, and if you also think about it, if, if they're, if, if, if it was obvious to everyone that he's implying everyone knows more than that person that was talking. So now all of a sudden everybody are experts, like, which is it, right? So, uh, the fact everyone thinks something is not evidence that it is true. This is the fallacious appeal to the masses or appeal to the mob. I'm not saying the idiot speaking out of ignorance is correct or not. I'm saying Bernays is apparently setting up the lone or few voices of dissent which are an anathema to the manipulator class of cults and PR. He's attacking the lone voice, which he earlier was was arguing for. Remember, he said, oh, yeah, the the, 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 the lone voices of dissent, right? They're the heroes. And now he's saying the lone voices of dissent are the crackpots. <laughs> so um, Bernays is appealing to the to the mob while attacking the mob's mentality. Right? Zero self-awareness. And this idea of uh, disregarding the voice of the common man because he's just an average person is not based on uh, on his argument, right? It's not based on his argument. It's based on him being just an average person. So this is a fallacy that tries to silence the lone voice of reason or innovation. So Bernays uses the witch-burning trope to crap on the mob without differentiating the mob's faulty logic with that of the average person who was not, by definition, a witch-burning mob, right? The average person is not a witch-burning mob. Bernays writes a, a funny line. But people who have made no research of the subject pass strong denunciatory judgments. Denunciatory judgments. His implication is that anyone who passes a strong uh, criticism has made no research. <laughs> so anybody who's critical doesn't know what they're talking about. Really? So an attack on the voices of dissent. Obviously, he's talking out of his ass, as there are many people who don't research a thing and who also don't pass strong criticisms of it. Likewise, there are many who do give a sharp criticism who have done their research. But Bernays only shows the straw man of those who don't do uh, the research and who also criticize. There are many different types, right? Keeping in mind, he's not talking about any literal person or event. It's just an imaginary straw man that he fabricated, that he pulled out of his ass. So Bernays touches on the close-minded people, uh, intolerant of views contrary to, uh, his own, to their own. So this is, this is called bigotry. And today it defines the typical, uh, partisan leftist or partisan in Canada, the liberal party, um, they, they collapse into emotional arguments full of ad hominems and fallacies, and they are devoid of logic. Devoid of logic or void of logic? Devoid. What's the point of the D? Anyways, Bernays uh, refers to uh, this vitriol in politics uh, when characters in politics allow their prejudice to supersede their logic. It rings of Justin Trudeau when he called protesters of his unconstitutional infringements on charter rights and freedoms as racists and misogynists. Actually, he called them extreme misogynists, not just misogynists, but extreme misogynists. How dare they protest my dicta? 
right? My oppressing their rights and freedoms. They must be extreme misogynists, right? Bernays uh, skirts close to uh, rational critical thought here and makes some agreeable assertions like intolerance is almost inevitable uh, inev inevitably accompanied by a natural and true inability to comprehend or to make allowance for opposite points of view, which is true in some circumstances. However, who we should tolerate is subjective, right? It's, people talk about tolerance. Yeah, I agree. Tolerance is a good thing, but not always. Some people should not be tolerated, right? Should we tolerate a mass murderer who enjoys killing? Should we make allowance for, for their point of view? Well, no, that's idiotic, right? Beyond it being patently wrong, we logically are not taking into consideration the opinions of his or her victims, right? Which, of course, bleeding heart liberals never do. Bernays makes a hypothetical example of a scientist who may be willing to entertain a promising suggestion in his own field, but may be willing, unwilling to make an attempt to understand a contrary point of view outside of his field. So I talked earlier about how people seem to be rational about some things, but irrational about things they've been conditioned on or emotionally tied if they fed the monster on something organically. It's, it's likely more complex than that, but Bernays is correct when he claims even scientists can be close-minded and dogmatic. There's a book by uh, nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman called Science Was Wrong, which is a full example of expert scientists who were close-minded and made wrong assertions based on no evidence, which is not the scientific method. Actually, it's worse than that. A long line of scientists, including the British astronomer Royal, with cheese, uh, proved space travel was impossible and declared it utter bilge in 1956, less than a year before the Soviets launched Sputnik into space. This is how wrong our experts in academia can be. Apparently, if a hypothesis, a hypothesis or worse, uh, evidence refutes the life work of someone, they may not have the strength of character to man up and be a real scientist. Scientists can be married to an idea or worse, their funding may depend on it, which is the corruption of science. Bernays said some psychologists introduced the concept of logic proof compartments. These are compartments of one's mind that even logic won't unlock, essentially just being closed-minded on that specific topic, citing a scientist who refused to see a flaw in their theory as an example. Bernays quotes a Mr. Trotter, who I'll uh, paraphrase Mr. Kata, those beliefs are regarded as rational and defended as such, while the position contrary is held to be obviously unreasonable. This is something we should all be on the lookout, uh, you know, for ourselves and ourselves. This is why we need to hold what we want to believe in high scrutiny. Bernays claims the reason why liberals and conservatives both view each other in this light is due to herd suggestions. Now he's just talking about partisans. Right? He's not talking about, but again, he's overgeneralizing. He's stereotypes, right? So, which is, is, it's a wild assertion with no evidence, and it leaves us to define what herd suggestions might mean. There's obviously some mimicry and uh, 
power of suggestion that does have some effect, but heard suggestion, right? The entire argument by Bernays is based on the premise that the average people uh, cannot reason or detect logical fallacies. In fact, he wrote, the differences are not due to the mere mechanical fallacies of logic, since those are easily avoided even by the politician. If logical fallacies are so easily avoided, how come they are everywhere in the news and politics and even in Bernays' own writing? <laughs> it's so easy to... Yeah. So a, uh, a priori right, can mean um, assumed cause to related effect, right? A causation correlation fallacy without recognizing it as a fallacy, right? Or it can mean uh, reasoning without reference to experience, so theoretical conclusions from pure logic like math and deductive reasoning. So a priori can mean a couple of different things, right? Whereas a posteriori is knowledge based on observations, empirical evidence like the inductive logic of statistics, as well as the, the abductive logic of best guess and the logical fallacies of stereotype. Just because something is observed doesn't mean it's true, right? You, depending on how you interpret that, right? So a priori and a posteriori by themselves do not imply truth or falsity. Bernays claims PR has uh, to consider the a priori judgment, which is generally you know logic based, uh, of of any public before counseling anything that would modify their established belief. I'm not sure if Bernays is implying the a priori judgment of the public is a false judgment. I hope not. He writes, it is seldom effective to call names or to attempt to discredit the beliefs themselves. Right. But this is, we, we know today that a ad hominem, the logical fallacy of ad hominem is effective. So it is effective to call names, right? But maybe not if you want to win them over. And that's his point. He wants to manipulate them. But if you call the advocates of, of a certain point names, then those listening might be one over to your point. So now he's talking about specifically the targets. So there's no benefit to calling the targets names. If there's only benefits to calling those who are advocating the points that they don't want the targets to believe names, right? So which depends on the context because ad hominem apparently does weaken the prestige of, of the victim, right? Or worse than it does that of the attacker. So he's right in arguing that a closed minded person's beliefs is seldom attacking their beliefs is, uh, Arguing against them is, is seldom effective. I've argued with a lot of you know religious people, different religions and stuff, and, and it doesn't matter what logic you use, it is seldom, I don't think ever, I wouldn't say ever, but rarely effective depending on how conditioned the person is, right? But we absolutely should try to discredit uh, certain beliefs, you know, if they're not found on anything, right? You, you can argue the point now, people still, they're free to choose to believe whatever they want fully support that if they if, if, if these beliefs survive our attacks uh, by valid reason and logic they should be that much stronger now there's a different there's different ways of interpreting this right when you you don't want there's a holistic perspective of things right and, and but I don't want to go off on a tangent here but so his his point appears to be that that the uh, that the public is close-minded and it's pointless to try to reason with illiterate beasts it sounds like he's teeing up justification for manipulation because reason doesn't work, so we might as well just manipulate them, right? So uh, despite not all the public being closed-minded, but Bernays does love his stereotype. 
So in context, Bernays is telling us, uh, is trying to tell us how to manipulate the opinions of the public. So perhaps he's, he's just saying, uh, discrediting the beliefs and ad hominems don't win the schmucks over. You need a more calculated method. So he's trying to, again, to write to his, his, his audience that you guys can't just do this by attacking them. You need us, the specialists in PR, to win the schmucks over, right? So he writes, uh, after examining the sources of established beliefs, PR must either discredit the old authorities, so those claiming those, or create a new one by making articulate a mass opinion against the old belief in favor of the new. So that is a, that is a, uh, <laughs> list of how they, a mode of how PR tries to manipulate people. They examine the sources of the established beliefs, whether they're true or not, it doesn't matter. And so in order to change people's beliefs away from potentially a true opinion, the PR must either discredit the old authorities by ad hominem them or whatever, uh, or create a new one, just fabricate it, create it and make articulate articulate a mass opinion. So now we need to appeal to the masses. This is what everybody believes. Uh, everybody believes. Everybody believes. I'm turning, talking, talking Italian. Everybody believes it, right? So mass opinion. So they want, they're appealing to uh, mob or, or the masses, right? Mass opinion against the old belief in favor of the new one. So if there was a, if people believe something that's true, you need to attack the authority that, that validates that. You need to create a new authority that contradicts it. And you need to articulate how everybody, the mass opinion. Now, I really am curious about what his definition of mass opinion is. But, you know, we can interpret it naturally to be just um, the opinion of a mob, right, against the old true belief in favor of the new false one. So by uh, a priori, he means the source of the public's belief which is a wrong use of a priori as the public's opinion could be from observation a posteriori as well, right? So to change the public's belief, PR must discredit the old authority or articulate a mass opinion against the old for the new. So it's or, it's not an and. I assume they would probably try to do both. So what are the old authorities? Individuals, books, modes of thought? an ideology, a religion, you know, clearly if, if one's opinion is based on scientific evidence and reason, valid scientific, I mean the actual meaning of the word scientific. So based on scientific evidence and reason, and PR wants to change that opinion to the whim of their client, the scientific establishment must be discredited or conscripted to uh, regurgitate the new narrative or a straw man that doesn't really represent the scientific community needs to be created to claim to be the authority, to claim to be the scientific community, usurping the trust, the generations of hard-won uh, hard, uh, science earned. The heart of hard-won science? That's a mouthful. So they need to, uh, yeah, straw man science. So this is a two-four, right? So they're, they're actually weakening uh, science, which is the, the search for truth and use that to promote false, uh, falsities. So the fact the scientific uh, community doesn't speak up loud enough against this 
doesn't bode well for the reputation of science. Now, this could be due to regulatory capture or it could be to, uh, you know, the academia that these people went through that was corrupted. It's a whole thick shit sandwich, right? We need to be hearing these people speak up. Now, there are, I'm not saying there aren't people that speak up. There are people that do speak up that, you know, support science. But they appear to be uh, the minority. Now, they may not be, but uh, they are projected to be um as the, you know, the conspiracy theorists, right? Even though a lot of them have the patents and, you know, the, the, the published the most papers, most peer reviewed papers on the subject, you know, as in McCullough and those other guys, right? So, and they're trying to be, they're trying to be, uh, people are trying to discredit them, right? So that's exactly what Bernays is saying here. You need to discredit the, the authority. Who are these people? We need to discredit them, call them names, right? So people don't believe what they're saying. Assuming that the crowd is too stupid to, uh, to listen and, uh, and use their own judgment. And now this might be the 80-20 rule, and there might be 80% of the population that is stupid enough to not think critically, right? And this, this is what we're fighting, right? So Bernays is calling for the use of the fallacious appeal to the mob to change the public's beliefs. Now, it's pretty, they're the pretty simple tools they're using, but they seem to have great effect, right? And it's really, again, it's, anyways. Since Bernays recognized uh, logical fallacies exist, and even claim they are easy to avoid by even an idiot politician, right? The fact that he's now using them uh, a couple paragraphs later would indicate he is either experiencing his logic proof compartment or the, uh, the closed-minded fool, or he's intentionally using deception and fallacy for effect. If he's using it for deception, does he believe his target audience is this stupid? I wouldn't be surprised. Either way, it's not good for Bernays. He's either a fool or evil. Evidence is pushing the scales towards sociopath. So he uh, moves on to the public uh, opinion being stubborn or malleable. Given Bernays' uh, profession, it's obvious that he would argue, the I would assume, the public's opinion is malleable, regardless of whatever the truth is. Right? Otherwise, his industry is pointless. So he briefly touches on nature, nurture, uh, writing, there is a profound belief that you can't change human nature versus uh, equally firm assur- uh, assurance that certain well-defined institutions modify and alter public opinion. So what's the difference between modify and alter? Well, modify means to make minor changes, typically to improve or to make less extreme, and alter is to change the character or composition typically in a small but significant way. So I guess like the end of a movie, a minor modification may slightly improve or make less extreme, whereas an altered ending, while also small, can significantly change the character and the meaning of the, of the movie. So you modified your course to make it more accurate, but you alter your course slightly uh, to have a different destination. I, uh, I never really distinguished between modify and alter before, Bernays claims there is uniformity of opinion in the country upon many issues. He doesn't give any evidence, uh, any evidence or proof of this assertion, but okay. He claims that uh, when we agree uh, with this uniformity, we call it an expression of the public conscience. So Bernays tells us that we, the radical fringe, call the public, uh, the so-called public opinion, opinion 
the uh, regimentation of the public mind and are inclined to uh, ascribe to it insidious propaganda. Right? So those of us who don't agree with uh, the majority of the public opinion, according to him, well, I'm not saying a majority. He just says the public opinion. So we're assuming he means the majority, right? We call it insidious propaganda, right? If I don't agree, it's obviously insidious propaganda. So that's trying to make it claim that insidious propaganda doesn't exist, right? It does exist. This is a guy trying to promote fucking insidious propaganda. So what's important here is that Bernays is not claiming the, the radical is wrong uh, in their observations or opinions, right? He's just saying that they call it insidious propaganda. So they might be right in noticing the insidious propaganda. So he goes on to claim uh, uniformity of opinion is only partially artificial and writes, public opinion may be much, may be as much the producer of insidious propaganda as its product. Right. So recall that propaganda is the intentional propagation of a doctrine or narrative with the intent to change the target's beliefs opinions or actions public opinion does not do that there's a difference between propaganda and public opinion right one is the result perhaps when someone like bernays uh that is someone who is advocating for manipulation of the public as an industry plays loosey-goosey with definitions especially with a word like propaganda a concept that constitutes the spine of his profession we can be fairly certain that he is doing so intentionally to deceive. If PR implants an opinion via insidious propaganda, the, the public feedbacks on that and apparently creates its own insidious propaganda based off of that, according to Bernays, right? And the only group conscious of the manipulation are the PR and their clients who are morally responsible for the insidious propaganda. Bernays is calling the public opinion feedback to the insidious propaganda as natural. Then what we are to assume is the artificial part. It would appear to be the influence of PR. So let's take a closer look at what Bernays, uh, or a close look at what Bernays is, is word choice, right? So what is the definition of insidious? Insidious is proceeding in a gradual, subtle way but with harmful effects. So proceeding in a gradual, subtle way with harmful effects. That's insidious. This is the word Bernays chooses to describe PR. Insidious is a synonym to treacherous. So he could be, you know, being sarcastic here, right? But treachery is the betrayal of trust, deception, uh, deceptive action or nature. Betrayal of trust, a deceptive action or nature. So a deceptive nature. Insidious propaganda is Bernays term. So he knows full well what it is to be fair, right? He could be, like I said, he could be sarcastic, uh, as a derogatory term. He's heard other people, you know, use to describe his industry, but that still doesn't help his cause. Does it? If this is the interpretation of other people, they see it for what it is. Instead of his definition of the industry, it's a common, uh, definition yeah, it's a common definition of the industry. So it's not, it may not be his definition, but it is a definition, right? We, we're not sure exactly, but regardless, it is a definition of the industry. <laughs> then Bernays goes on after that uh, thorny radical fringe who are frustratingly resilient to his manipulation techniques and calls uh, 
he calls them uh, out of sympathy with the accepted point of view. So they're out of sympathy with the accepted point of view. So accepted is a fallacious appeal. It needs to be accepted because of specific cited cognitive or cogent uh, evidence. So he's just saying it's accepted. Accepted by who? Accepted by him and his client, right? It was also accepted the earth was flat. It was accepted that elites didn't go to Epstein's pedophile island and molest young girls. It was accepted that the government didn't experiment on Americans with LSD for behavior modification. When one hears the accepted opinion, a red flag should go up, especially in the sciences, because their job is to know better and be critical thinkers. But apparently today they rarely do. So notice too, uh, the, the slight pivot from uniform point of view to accepted point of view or uh, accepted opinion. So a uniform point of view has been pivoted to an accepted opinion. So his implicit claim is that because it is uniform, it is the accepted view. No mention of veracity or truthfulness. According to Bernays, these uh, resilient, independent schmucks also find the public unreceptive to their point of view, which is who they are to Bernays, the public who are unreceptive to PR's point of view. Bernays says these independent schmucks justly or unjustly, they attribute this unreceptiveness to the influence of antagonistic interests upon the public mind. Damn straight. If Bernays were around today, he would refer to this resilient class as conspiracy theorists who think uh, there is an industry which is manipulating the public opinion in a book about that very thing. <laughs> right. If, if, uh, if I were to psychoanalyze Edward Bernays, I might say he feels these resili resilient schmucks who are unresponsive to the accepted opinion are the antagonistic interests upon the public mind. It feels as if he's projecting. I would uh, be proud to consider myself among those independent schmucks who are not in line with the uniform opinion dictated by PR scum or mechanisms unknown if their opinion is based on questioning and best effort attempt at critical reasoning. Critical thinking is a voyage. It is not a destination. Cliche, right? But it's true. How does he know what free thinkers are thinking? He doesn't make it explicit, most likely because it's a bullshit straw man. But according to Bernays, these resilient radicals think the press, lectures, schools, ads, churches, radios, movies, magazines, as the sources actually influencing the public opinion. Well, if that's what they think, that's what he's trying to claim they are, right? Bernays writes that those radical free thinkers, those who think institutions influence the public opinion because there is agreement amongst those institutions. So he's saying if these public institutions all agree, then they must be in league. He writes, they don't stop to think that agreement in point of view between the public and these institutions may often, often be a result of the control exercised by the public mind over these institutions. So it's the public who are influencing these institutions to all think alike, right? Clearly a red herring. 
Bernays claims to control the public mind via these institutions. And when dissidents recognize the uniformity of narrative, he claims the public may be the ones influencing those institutions. What a worm, right? The hairnet company's manipulation campaign for women to grow their hair was actually influenced by the public opinion and not the company funding the conspiracy to manipulate those unsuspecting women. Just as it was really the public opinion to sell more bacon and not some fabricated medical truth by a meat uh, packer. So a couple paragraphs later, what does uh, Bernays claim? That outside forces do influence public opinion. The most obvious being the press, lectures, schools, ad churches, radio, movies, and magazines, and parents. So way to agree with the people you're targeting, Eddie. (laughs) Right, he's saying they're wrong, and then uh, you know this is what they think, and then this is what I agree with them. Right? He didn't say he agrees with them. He just, anyways. So, can the public opinion uh, control institutions? Well, first, one needs to prove that there is even a public opinion. If we define public opinion as the stereotype an individual has for the majority of what people think, then no, public opinion can't influence those institutions in a substantial way as that definition of public opinion is unique to each person and it is only their personal stereotype that has any influence if they are in a position to affect an institution. And uh, no one has reached to affect uh, change across them all. So unless they are stupid rich and crazy, it's it's their perception of reality, not reality itself. So the public's actual opinion has very minimal effect. Bernays writes, stubborn, uh, how stubborn the people can be to the influence of the press. The press, according to Bernays, are designated as leaders or molders of the public mind. So here he's clearly defining the press to not be the people, the original definition of what the press were. He's defining them as leaders or molders of the public mind. So here he's claiming clear that the the press are not the people. They are some uh, centralized elite that mold the public mind. So how much influence would the public have on the designated leader or molders of the public mind? Clearly those resilient schmucks were not wrong when they claimed these institutions manipulate the public's opinion now, were they, right? So here I am getting duped into admitting there is public opinion. And you see how that works? So again, he writes, it's not surprising that the men, uh, the man who is outside of the current of prevailing public opinion should regard the press as a coercive force. Well, why wouldn't they? You just finished explaining the press is a coercive force. <laughs> Idiot, Right. The, the more alarming point, and, and the one that Bernays is oddly ignoring, is that those who are coerced don't recognize their coercion by the, by the press. Coercion. So that's the anomaly. Not the people who see through the bullshit, but those who are duped by it. Today, it's orders of magnitude worse with social media platforms such as you know Facebook and others who study the addictive psychological nature of the platform and how to get more people hooked for longer. So during the last U.S. election, there was a true story uh, by all accounts about Hunter Biden's laptop. And that story was printed in a New York paper that was started by Alexander Hamilton in 1801. What is horrifying is the conclusion of the 
collective conclusion of all of big tech, social media, Google, right? News organizations and the Democratic Party, uh, <laughs> surprisingly enough, to bury the story until after the election. So this clearly demonstrates centralized control of apparently uh, separate entities, but they are just, you know, tentacles of the same evil creature. Even in Canada, the loser fake media jumped on board. You know, the bias is blatant and disgusting. It's, it's blatant, pure lies and deception, you know, treachery, betrayal of the, uh, the public's trust. So Bernays gives some examples uh, about how, despite many uh, or most news media being against certain politicians, they still won majorities. This shrouds the cage of these centralized control freaks, right? Though Bernays claims these instances are not frequent. So recall, recall how Bernays wrote the stubborn, free-thinking schmuck would attribute the public's ignoring of his point of view to the regimentation of the public mind, implying the schmuck was looking for excuses. Now, Bernays questions, how would such authors as Martin, Lippmann, and Sinclair explain the stubborn resilience of those instances? How, on the theory of regimentation of the public mind by the press, can thinkers explain the sharpness with which the public sometimes rejects the advocacies of a united press? Hmm. Again, Bernays claims it is infrequent that the sheeple reject the forces of a united press, but goes on to say that these examples show there must be other influences beside the press which enter into the making of a public opinion and that these forces must never be disregarded in the estimate of the quality and stability of a prevalent public opinion. <laughs> Look at the arrogance of Bernays to question how the press does not have complete and absolute control over the entire population's opinion. Clearly is indicating that PR want to control the quality and stability of any narrative. Interesting to see the press was united in a narrative a hundred years ago. What these other influences, uh, you know, in quotes, other influences are that affect the, the public perception of a narrative such as the uh, such that they disregard their masters in the press, Bernays does not say, but he's he's warning the elites that there are other influences. Is it word of mouth? Who knows? Right? Is it logic? Is it reason? <laughs> they don't know. They're short circuiting. How could these people not believe what we tell them to? Right? But I would venture to guess it uh, it is a dose of rational thought by a public that isn't as stupid and sheep-like as the manipulators want to believe. Now recall, these people do use stereotype and, and they are not critical thinkers. I'm talking about the manipulators. So obviously their, their nodes of thought are, are gonna lead to uh, erroneous conclusions. Bernays doesn't see the, the cognitive flaws of his, of his overgeneralizations because he embraces it, right? He writes, accounts of people questioning the power that the press wield among us Clearly, that power is the power to manipulate, but 
I do like the uh, quote Bernays includes from a guy called Henry Louis Mencken. This guy, every time I've come across him, I agree. I love this guy's quotes. I got to read more about him. But one of the principal marks, so this is what H.L. Uh, Mencken uh, says, one of the principal marks of an educated man is that, it is, is that he does not take his opinion from newspapers. On the contrary, his attitude toward them is almost always one of frank cynicism. He knows they are constantly falling into false reasoning about the things within his personal knowledge, so he assumes they make the same errors about other things. This assumption is quite justified by the facts. So this, you know, I, I don't really know much about this uh, Henry Mencken guy, but I like what little I've seen. It appears Bernays was trying to expose Mencken as one of those free-thinking, uh, radical schmucks. But in effect, all he did was weaken his own position uh, of the news being uh, the power that controls the people's minds. So Bernays writes a second point of view that the press and other leading forces merely accept, reflect, and intensify established public opinion and are therefore responsible for the uniformity of public reaction, <laughs> right? So let's make this assertion. Bullshit, right? Bernays is trying to mitigate the responsibility of the press and other leading forces of manipulation as only being responsible for the uniformity of public reaction, right? He's claiming the press and other forces of manipulation only. Well, he doesn't say only, does he? He says they accept, intensify, and reflect. The intensification is the manipulative part. If one intensifies, that implies they choose which parts to amplify. As we all know, amplification is a cognitive error. It is uh, perhaps on the apophenia scale. If one sees a pattern or connection that isn't there, uh, you know, type one false positive, you know, that error may be due to the amplification of some points uh, which would logically lead to a false conclusion if it was not amplified. Conversely, if one is amplifying a portion that means they are attenuating or, or neg uh, negatively amplifying other points relative to the ones that are being positively amplified. So as a whole message, those parts are now muted and may not indicate connections that should be made, you know, if they were pro at the proper intensity, making that part of the signal or message a type two or a false negative. Any way you look at it, it's distortion and manipulation of the original signal, message, or opinion. If the press is responsible for the public's reaction, and the reaction of someone cannot be manipulated without first messing with their opinions or emotions, you can mess with someone's emotions without messing, or can you mess with someone's emotions without messing with their opinions? What are the vectors of control over someone's emotions? Appeals to emotions, appeals to something against their core values or sense of what is correct or what ought to be. I can't see how one can be responsible for manipulating someone else's reaction without also manipulating their opinion. The point's really mute, mute, moot. As, as Bernays later claims that PR creates the news and the news is the weapon to control the public's opinion. 
So all this crap he's trying to sell right now is just bullshit. Or perhaps dog whistles of how to go about messing with a, an opinion while simultaneously trying to shirk the responsibility. Or, or, and worse, put the responsibility on the shoulders of those targets. It's very slimy. You know, Bernays is, you know, a subhuman. So the forces of manipulation only accept, amplify, and reflect the established public opinion. Established by what mechanisms? How does Bernays define established public opinion? It appears it is the opinion established by PR's client, if we were to use his early examples of hairnets and bacon. It's clear here that he was uh, crapping on the interesting fellow, uh, Henry uh, L. Mencken, because Bernays writes, there's a third group which perhaps comes closer to the truth. So his first concept is Mencken calling journalists what they are, liars, and not a valid source of information. His second bit is the press merely reflecting back to the public their own opinion. And now this third take where the press are merely benevolent mediums of education and disinformation. <laughs> right? So more like mediums of insemination as the public are mind raped. Right? My take is that the power over opinions, like all other powers, can be used malevolently or benevolently. Right. Even the press might have uh, might give a uh, a benevolent story here and there amongst the the whips and chains of their slave driver norm. Also, the uh, the common thread in all three of Bernays' scenario scenarii scenarios what's the plural right is the manipulation of the public mind. He also touches on advertisers' potential power over publications. If an advertiser does not like a story being covered, they could warn the publication that their funding will be pulled. I suppose that's why we never see an outlet funded by Big Pharma ever doing a story about regulatory capture. Unless perhaps they claim it's a conspiracy theory, of course. Other barriers to manipulation are trying to get the attention of the quality public. Or targets. Their attention is required in order to manipulate their emotion. Like I wrote on my website uh, a couple of years ago now, I guess, your attention is their resource, your emotion is their product. I was thinking more about social media when I came up with that, but it fits perfectly with manipulation. Is that a coincidence? Some claim there is no such thing as coincidence. <laughs> Essentially, Bernays is uh, saying clickbait, which interests the target personally, is required. Not a story on a strike or the plight of our fellow man, more how will that strike affect the reader. The manipulator's goal is to arouse personal interest from the target. He's essentially claiming the facts are boring and unemotional, therefore papers need to write in a way that we can perceive them and translate them immediately into parallel facts. What the fuck is a parallel fact? Feels, feels like he's arguing that, that articles, or headlines at least, need to evoke immediate phantom connections. You know, the, the false positive apophenia. Yes, parallel concepts are things that are compared to show uh, likeness or closely corresponding, so he may not be arguing for phantom connections, as opposed to Hitchcock's, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's contrapuntal counterpoints. I suppose. Bernays concludes with the uh, the possibility of a malleable 
public opinion. PR simply can utilize existing channels. Again, stressing the importance of PR study of the organs that maintain public opinion or that influence it to change. Notice he doesn't say that change public opinion, but he, instead he says that influence it to change. Insidious, proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects.